my life I has to fight All's my life I Hard times like yeah Bad trips like yeah Nazareth I'm f***ed up homie you f***ed up But if God got us then we gon' be alright Welcome back. It's me, Maria. I'm on my own this time. Susie's having some technical difficulties, and so she'll join us for another episode. Uh, this is another news episode where I'm providing some updates and interesting information regarding things that are relevant to education. How I'm doing right now? I would say I'm doing really well. This is my first week of summer break. It has been probably one of the most challenging years I've ever had as a working person. And I don't know why, but I caught some weird cold. I think I was just like being too social over the weekend. And I'm recovering from a cold now, my first week on summer break. But that's okay. So the first story that I have, um, this is like not super related to education, but it's a huge milestone in American society is that Roe v. Wade got overturned. It's a historic moment where there's no federal law supporting abortions anymore. And now women have no constitutional right to get an abortion in this country. So instead, it'll now be based on individual state politics. And the states that have already banned or will soon be banning abortions are Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, South Dakota, North Dakota, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Louisiana, Arkansas, Iowa, Mississippi, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Alabama. I was really surprised that Florida was not in that group. There are other few states that did not make the list that I'm actually a little bit surprised by. Maybe they'll soon join. I'm not totally sure. But it's a huge moment for the United States. Um... Uh, Having a conservative Supreme Court definitely has changed the tone of the country overall. And um, I think that that will definitely be impacted in education in some way. So we'll see how that unfolds or if that sticks. Moving on, the first update that we have regarding education is the Uvalde update, where we know that about a month ago, 21 people were killed at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas. Also, just like a side note about that, the school will be knocked down and rebuilt same way it was with Sandy Hook Elementary after the the killings that happened there. They are going to completely knock the school down and start over. Um, I mean, I can't imagine trying to do anything in a school where that level of destruction has happened. It's just too devastating to the community. So they're going to knock Rob Elementary down. I don't know if when they rebuild, it will be in the same location or if it will be like positioned differently somewhere else in the community. But that is important to keep in mind. Since the Uvalde accident, investigations have revealed that there were several significant lies about the logistics and the errors in protocol that the law enforcement were supposed to have followed that they did not follow. Almost immediately when they were called to the scene, they were handling this completely incorrectly based on what they'd been trained to do. The police didn't enter immediately. They waited over an hour 
They held parents back from trying to go in and get their own children. They were in communication with some of the children and one of the adults who later died, uh, but did not disclose that information. It wasn't until I think the EMTs released the medical or the phone records that we see that there was extensive communication and some of the police officers were talking to the victims and some of the EM or the, the people on the phone, um, the dispatchers were talking to the victims. They originally said that the classroom was locked, which is why they didn't enter. This is what law enforcement was saying. And then we later found out that the classroom was unlocked and couldn't have been locked by the gunmen because you'd need a key to lock it from the outside. So they just chose not to enter. It wasn't that the police couldn't get into the classroom where the children were being held hostage and the teachers were being held hostage. They never even attempted to open the door, which is a very different story than what they were originally telling. The gunman could not have locked the door, first of all, because he was inside, second of all, because he didn't have a key. This is the kind of information that's been incredibly damaging, and there are several independent investigations that are happening with different agencies. So there's not just one, there's like several. And they're all kind of finding similar missteps. And as a result, like a lot of finger pointing has occurred. No one's really sure who to blame because there's still so much evidence to uncover. Uh, Law enforcement has not been very forthcoming. They've spent a lot of time saying like, oh, it's the police chief's fault. No, it was like the security officer's fault. No, it was the mayor's fault. It's it's everybody's pointing the finger at each other. On June 22nd, which was this past Wednesday, the police chief named Pete Ardondo was placed on administrative leave while the investigations continue because I think there's concern about tampering with evidence. There's concern about obstruction of justice. And this is someone who has consistently told a variety of different stories and has misguided or misled the people who are doing the investigations. So to make sure that everyone has access to the information they need, they would like for him to step aside. But even that was a messy process because he had just requested on Tuesday, the 21st, to go on leave of absence and he was denied that, but then he was placed on administrative leave. So I'm not really sure why that happened in that way. Different agencies are doing independent investigations, so it's getting really messy. The mayor at one point was on the side of law enforcement and there was this really kind of infamous panel that happened not too long ago where uh, Beto O'Rourke showed up and he, you know, there was a lot of grandstanding and finger pointing and they're yelling at each other and he was escorted out of the auditorium. And now the mayor is saying that he is uh, really frustrated with the way that everything has been handled and he's been lied to as well. I don't know that I'm totally buying that. I think that the mayor is trying to keep his hands clean and he doesn't want to be implicated in some of the wrongdoing and so he's trying to separate himself from law enforcement because he sees how it's going down with the police chief so he's trying to say like they lied to me and they did this to me and I didn't know and how dare they treat our community this way which I mean I think that he was well aware of all of these things when he took the side of law enforcement to begin with but he just doesn't want to be associated with that as a result of all of these really significant missteps by law enforcement and the fact that the gun even was sold to the person who ended up killing everyone. I'm sure that we can expect to see a number of lawsuits coming. I've already heard about one lawsuit that 
the families and some of the school employees are working towards where they're taking steps towards suing Daniel Defense, which is the company that sold the AR-15. And that is significant because there obviously have been some really, really major concerns around gun sales and why he even was able to buy a gun. Um, why AR-15s are being sold, I think is the question. So they're holding that company to task for selling it to him. And we'll see where that goes. I also wouldn't be surprised if there were a number of other lawsuits with law enforcement and Department of Justice because of how negligent they were from the very beginning and how dishonest they were. And they hid the evidence and refused to follow basic protocol. So that's a lot of information about Uvalde, and I'm really, really heartbroken uh, that the families have to continue going through such abuse and such deceit and dishonesty. It's really sad to see that something could have been prevented by just following protocol, but they cared more about themselves and, and just kind of doing what felt safe and comfortable than protecting the lives of innocent teachers and children. Uh, and that is really disappointing because it shows how little these lives mattered to them. They cared more about their own safety. And these are people who are supposed to be taking an oath of risking their lives to protect the lives of the community. So we'll see what happens with Uvalde and we will continue staying abreast of that. The next story is about a teacher in Gwinnett County, Georgia. His name was Lee Allen, and he was just named Teacher of the Year in Gwinnett County Schools. Unfortunately, Lee Allen is going to be resigning. He has just resigned from his job, and he's a high school teacher that worked there for eight years. According to him, frustrations with the job just got to be too much. There were a number of issues this year in his district, particularly his school. He said there were issues with discipline, student apathy and disrespect, oversized classes, issues with cell phone use. And for me as a teacher, reading between the lines, this is not something that Lee said himself, but I feel like this is really a sign that administration does not have his back. If he's having to go back and forth with students about cell phones and he's having to argue about oversized classes and advocate for himself and really ask to make sure that his needs as a teacher are being met, it's telling me that administration is not doing their job, which is looking out for the needs of the teacher so that he can really have space to teach and be successful. They're almost essentially setting him up for failure. And during his interview, he called on parents to get more involved. Um, and he said that parents have to get away. Uh, parents have to get way more involved and be part of the regrowing process. I think that coming back from remote learning has been a really challenging experience for all of us, you know, Teachers are trying to adjust to the demands of COVID-19 restrictions and limitations. Kids are trying their best to readjust to learning in a classroom setting and being around peers and, and dealing with the fast-paced movement of life that they weren't previously accustomed to. And right now, our country is in crisis, both regarding students and teachers. And I think everybody right now is at their wit's end. There have been some really polarizing issues 
that have made it difficult for young people to cope in our society. COVID has been one of them. There have been a lot of political major upsets that have made it very difficult for young people, especially teenagers, to process the world around them because there's such conflict. I mean, even thinking about today's judgment with Roe v. Wade, that's a huge thing for a teenager to try and understand and and think about their placement in the world and how it impacts them. I think I'm disappointed because I felt like the pandemic really gave us an opportunity to create a new model for education that was more responsive to the needs of students and teachers. But instead, we went back to this model that didn't work before. And now it's really, really not working because we have some really specific needs that are not being addressed in the classroom. I know that for me as a fourth grade teacher, I'm seeing it. And I'm sure that other people are seeing it in middle and high school. I can only imagine how challenging it would be to try and teach middle and high school students when they haven't been around other people for a few years. That's a really challenging age group. But the reason why I'm thinking about this is because everyone has projected for a few years that there would be this mass exodus. and People are going to leave education. Teachers are going to leave. Like everybody's going to leave in droves. Just you wait and see. And the reality is that at this point, there really has not been an exodus. Uh, There has been no exodus on record. There is a slight uptick in turnover, but it's not necessarily the exodus that everyone is claiming. Because teachers like Lee, who resigned from his job, actually didn't leave teaching. Lee Allen went to a smaller school district. So when the school year starts back up in, I believe, August is when Georgia starts school. They start a little earlier than we do here in Washington State. He will be teaching at a much smaller school district with a more manageable class size and significantly easier demands, I would probably infer from that. We won't know whether there's an exodus until probably about, mm, I don't know, September or October later this year for us to really get a true headcount. There's always an 8% turnover at the end of every school year where people leave the teaching field. So that 8% is consistent. But if we are seeing more, the exodus, meaning like tons and tons of people, like if it's double that amount, 16%, that would indicate that there is a major turnover due to some of the demands of teaching that teachers have not been able to really reconcile and, and get support with. I'm really concerned as a classroom teacher because there hasn't been a lot of guidance. There hasn't been a lot of nationwide discussion regarding how challenging it has been to come back into the classroom. Same demands, same expectations, but it's almost impossible to do that when you have children that, you know, you're trying to think about masks, you're trying to think about social distancing, you're trying to think about people who are academically way behind, or there are just lots of gaps. I shouldn't say behind, but there are a lot of gaps, and the gaps are inconsistent because... Online learning was so touch and go, it was really hard to monitor who learned what. There has been no nationwide plan for how teachers are going to be supported. Administration really has not done a whole lot. And I understand they're between a rock and a hard place because they are kind of 
for lack of a better term, they're kind of the henchmen for the districts that they work for, right? Like the district makes the decision and the administration enforces it. And if they don't enforce it, then they get in trouble. And it kind of has this trickle down effect. So we're just on the receiving end of a lot of systemic things that have been boiling for a long time and are becoming much more glaringly obvious in an age where everyone is absolutely strapped. I'm really hopeful that we don't see this turnover or this exodus that everyone's talking about, but I also wouldn't be surprised because people are not supporting teachers and there's only so much we can do and the behaviors and the academic needs far exceed what one teacher can handle. And administration knows that. This is an issue that affects both the students and the teachers. Students can't learn when there are too many people in the classroom, when there are outbursts and when there's just too much going on, there's chaos and the teachers are not able to support them. Everyone is impacted. It's not just a teacher complaining. So I think that there really needs to be more centralized conversations so that we can have a blanket approach to how some of these things are going to be handled. Because even if there's not an exodus, I think the morale has gotten worse and worse every year. And I'm hopeful that something turns around. The last story that we have today is about six special education students that were supposed to be part of a graduation ceremony at San Leandro High School in California. Their graduation ceremony was on June 9th. These six students had earned their right to walk across the stage. But the school admitted that it forgot to order diploma for these students and that it would actually have to deliver the diplomas to these students at a later date. The school also forgot to put the students on the graduation program, but then they reprinted the graduation programs in time so that everyone's names were included. And the school said, you know, this is not something that typically happens. That is not okay. I think in the age of inclusivity, it's really important to make sure that we are putting students' needs first. In the age of inclusivity, it is absolutely unacceptable to have six students who are left off of the graduation program and they are all students that are part of special education. That is not acceptable. And it is, as a matter of fact, it's illegal. That type of exclusion is exactly why special education laws exist because students historically have not had their needs met. We know that graduating from high school for any kid is a big accomplishment, but especially for students who are receiving special education services, graduating from high school is a huge accomplishment because it really, really takes a lot of people. And a lot of the times the kids that are graduating from special education have had to work a lot, 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 lot harder to meet the standards for graduation. So as far as not giving them their diplomas or not putting them on the program, I can't even imagine how insulting and hurtful it is when your child has worked as hard as you've seen them, knowing that they have many obstacles to overcome and many challenges. And here they are not being acknowledged by the community they want to be a part of. This is the one time when they get to walk with all of their age group peers, right? These are all the kids that they went to school with 
And maybe they weren't in every single class with these kids, but this is one of the few times when they get an opportunity to celebrate this momentous occasion with all of their peers and not be segregated. The school district, or I guess I should say the school itself, found a way to separate them still. And this was really disappointing to read about. They said it was a clerical error, but in my opinion, this is actually an attitude problem. The issue is not the piece of paper. It's the acknowledgement of a major, major milestone in their lives. And it's the opportunity for them to participate in one of the only experiences that they'll share with peers that were not in the special education program. I think this story in particular was important because right now we're transitioning to a new model in education where inclusivity for special education students in particular is going to be part of the norm. We know that historically special education students have kind of been outliers or they've been in the periphery and they have separate classes and they do everything together as a group and, you know, we never really see them or maybe they'll just show up for PE and that model is shifting and seeing that schools are still kind of doing this us and them mentality really indicates why inclusivity is important because they're not separate. They are absolutely part of the community and accidentally, quote unquote, leaving them off, all six of the special education graduate graduates leaving them off, that's not an accident. You're just not thinking of them. You're not checking on them. You're not caring about them because you're not seeing them as members of your community. Because if those were gen general education students, that would never happen. I think that simply forgetting or failing to include someone is simply not an option particularly for special education students. And some of the families are already exploring their options to take legal action, and I absolutely don't blame them. We know that some of the students who are in special education programs may not be able to continue academically to college. So this may be the last graduation of this kind that they have. And forgetting or neglecting to give them that experience is unacceptable. This model that we're going to be switching into for special education where inclusivity is much more a part of everyday educational practice is something that I'm really excited about because I want to make sure that all students feel like they are part of the same community. There shouldn't be separate communities. There shouldn't be this idea of us and them and separating them and oh they're over there and those kids do those classes over there should they have specialized in um, specialized educational supports absolutely no doubt the reason why they've been identified as students who should receive special education services is because they need something more individualized and more customized to their needs However, that doesn't mean that they are not a part of the community. And I think this story highlights why inclusivity is going to be such a great model to shift to. And a lot of school districts all over the country are already starting to work their way towards it. The school district where I work here in Washington State does have an inclusive model that they're working towards where instead of having students in these resource rooms that are totally separate and um, they're kind of just insular and staying with each other, they'll be spending a lot more time with general education teachers and general education students. It's helpful both for students who are receiving special education as well as the students who are in general education 
to see the diversity and the range that exists for people who are maybe not like themselves, you know, and I wish that I'd had an opportunity as a kid to see more of that because I grew up in a very different generation where people believed that it was important to separate kids. So, you know, all of the really academically high achieving students go over here. All of the special needs students go over there. All of the plain Jane students stay right here. Like everyone got separated and segregated and, and grouped. And that was a the model they thought was best. I'm not faulting anybody for that because every few years, the model for education shifts. And eventually, I'm sure this model will adapt as well. I'm looking forward to following this. I know that there will be a few bumps in the road, but I'm hopeful that by working towards this type of inclusivity and, and pulling people in and making sure that they're all part of the community, this type of negligence happens less and less because forgetting that they are graduating is so, 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 so hurtful and insulting to the children as well as the parents. And my heart goes out to them because I know that when a, a person who really, really needs a lot of support makes it to the finish line, that is a victory for all of us, right? That's a community celebration because they made it because a whole team of people were helping them. And we want to celebrate that person and we also want to celebrate the team. And I think that it feels good when they know that people are acknowledging them and recognizing them and seeing them and, and wanting to celebrate with them instead of uh, thinking of them as separate. So that's the news. This was a really short one. I don't have a ton of things to say. Uh, we'll be back next time, hopefully with another interview because we haven't done an interview in a while. And now that I'm on summer break, I'll have a little more time to sit and really, really think up some good ones. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, if you have any interview ideas or any ideas for what we can do for our podcast, please let us know and talk to you soon. Bye.